G'day and welcome once again to the Bernie Gannon Show. We have a massive episode for you today. Of course, there's the federal budget, the US election is happening and COVID continues. But first this week, a bombshell allegation. Numerous Italian newspapers published stories over the past few days alleging that more than $1.1 million was channeled from enemies of Cardinal George Pell in the Vatican to bribe witnesses in the criminal case against him here in Victoria. Cardinal Pell, as we now all know, was unjustly jailed and spent over a year behind bars as a result of the allegations against him. Allegation that Australia's best criminal judge and the entire High Court ruled was simply not credible. Indeed, anyone who has ever served at a Catholic Mass would know that the allegations were fanciful and could not be believed. They were impossible. The jailing of Cardinal Pell is one of the great scandals and failures of Australia's justice system. But what we know so far may only be the tip of the iceberg. It is now claimed that Cardinal Giovanni Becciu, who has been up until recently described as the third most powerful man in the Vatican, transferred money to Australia to bribe witnesses in order to secure a conviction against Cardinal Pell. Why? Well, to get him out of the way. This story has made international headlines and this is how it has been reported. There are stunning claims in Rome alleging enemies of Cardinal George Pell sent millions of dollars to Australia as he faced claims of child sex abuse. But Pell's Vatican nemesis, Cardinal Giovanni Angelo Becciu, has strongly denied any attempt to interfere with the trial. Having a drink with a priest on the piazza, Cardinal George Pell enjoys the comforts of Rome. Lovely to be back. But Vatican intrigue is not far away. This man at the centre, 72-year-old Cardinal Giovanni Angelo Becciu, abruptly resigned last month after allegedly mismanaging Vatican funds, something he strongly denies. But now Italian newspapers claim he's accused of sending over a million dollars to Australia in the lead-up to Pell's 2018 sex abuse trial. Cardinal Becciu says it's all lies. I categorically deny interfering in any way in the trial of Cardinal Pell. Today, lawyers for Pell's alleged victim declined to comment, but Pell's barrister is calling for police action. I am treating these reports as requiring a proper investigation by all fiscal authorities. Pell and Betchu are old rivals. In 2016, Pell commissioned an audit of church finances. Betchu blocked it. Now you can see why they sacked the, the auditor. Betchu said he blocked the audit because he had wanted to apply laws that hadn't been promulgated yet. With these new claims, it seems clear Cardinal Pell's official duties in Rome might not be over. You meeting the Pope? That's looking increasingly likely. In London, Hugh Whitfeld, 7 News. Cardinal Pell was in charge of cleaning up the Vatican's finances in 2016 and he wanted to bring in auditors to examine the affairs of Cardinal Betchu and others when the Victorian police suddenly came knocking. Betchu had the audit shut down, and with Cardinal Pelt back in Australia, there was no way it was ever going to be resurrected, or so he thought. But last month, Cardinal Betchu was sensationally sacked by the Pope and lost his rights as a Cardinal to vote for the next Pope over claims that he embezzled large amounts of money and channeled it to his brothers. He's also been linked to dubious real estate purchases in London worth almost 100 million euros. Now, Cardinal Betchu denies all allegations, including that he interfered in any way in Cardinal Pell's trial. 
although it does appear that Pope Francis has seen enough to sensationally act against Cardinal Betu, up until recently one of his most trusted advisers. Witness J, the anonymous figure at the centre of the case against Cardinal Pelt, has also released a statement through his solicitor that he was not paid. Now, there is no proof yet to these allegations, which appear to hint that Cardinal Betu arranged payment to Australia via the Papal Nuncio. That's the Pope's ambassador to Australia. It has also been reported that the Papal Nuncio is an old colleague of Cardinal Betu. Not that that in itself proves anything, and he was called for an audience with Pope Francis last week. Moneyvelt, Europe's anti-money laundering watchdog, was also busy in the Vatican last week, and Vatican prosecutors have raided a number of officials in relation to financial scandals over the past year. If there is any truth to these allegations, it should come out. You simply cannot hide multi-million dollar fund transfers. And now that these sensational allegations have been aired across the globe, the Vatican has a duty to clear them up one way or the other. Australians also deserve to know if dodgy cardinals, who should know better, are abusing our justice system to get rid of rivals or to hide nefarious activities in Rome. The Moneyvelt audit is reportedly due in April next year, and it should be made public. However, it is unclear if any investigations will be conducted by authorities here in Australia. That should occur too. I understand that Austrack, which tracks all payments over $10,000, would pick up any payments made within Australia, but any transfer from the Vatican to the Papal Nuncio's office would probably be protected under diplomatic immunity. There is certainly a lot of smoke if there is no fire to this story. The timing of Cardinal Pell's arrest and trial was certainly very convenient for Cardinal Betu, as it enabled him to delay scrutiny of his actions. Scrutiny which has now seen him dramatically fall from his position of power in the Vatican. And it also appears that there is other smoke too. Andrew Bolt interviewed Cardinal Pell about rumours that his enemies in the Vatican had used the criminal case against him to get him out of the way after he was released from jail. And Andrew Bolt has also stated just in the last week that he has seen documents relating to a property purchase that are of interest. Have a look. And I also asked Pell back then about this rumour that people in Australia were paid off to bring him down. Have you ever considered that the trouble you were causing to corrupt officials in the Vatican was related to the troubles that have since happened to you here? Most of the senior people in Rome who are in any way sympathetic to financial reform, reform believe that they are. Now, I have seen no evidence that Betu or anyone else really did pay bribes in this case. No hard evidence. Although I have to say, I have seen documentation of a property deal here involving one key person who seemed to have more money than I thought that person would have had, given that particular person's circumstances. I'm sorry to sound so cautious, but you know what the laws are here on free speech. But uh, I have no proof yet. Now, this brings us to perhaps the greatest scandal of all in this matter. Cardinal Pell was jailed on the allegation of a single anonymous person whose word simply did not stand up to scrutiny. When it comes to cancel culture, it doesn't get any bigger than this, because this time it was aided and abetted by our justice system. There is no way of knowing who Witness J is, no way of being able to verify his character. In fact, he is so protected that even if these allegations are true, 
it is possible that no one will be able to report on him at all, even if he was bribed. All Australians should be ashamed that a person can be jailed unjustly by a single anonymous witness. But that is what happened with Cardinal Pell. We can only imagine how many others it has happened to as well. There should be no place for cancel culture in the justice system. Witnesses in trials that may see people locked up should not be anonymous. Regardless of whether the sensational Vatican claims are true or not, Victoria's justice system certainly needs a massive shake-up. Victorians rightly have lost confidence in their police, with polling showing a slump in trust levels from 76% to just 42% over the past three years alone. That is a huge decline in public interest, and there is a good reason for this. Victorian police used a solicitor to spy on her clients. There is a Royal Commission going on to that in the moment. It was a gross breach of trust and legal and justice ethics. Victoria Police launched the investigation into Cardinal Pell as well before there was even a single complaint. And dozens of complaints that did emerge have all been discredited and dismissed. To that end, whether or not bribery was involved in the Pell matter, the Victorian Police certainly created an environment that enabled bribery. And that of itself is simply unacceptable. The Victorian police hierarchy have also allowed their powers to be abused for political purposes to silence conservatives, even attempting to shut down events run by Dave Pallow, the founder of The Good Source, with unlawful and intimidating bills. And of course, this year we've seen Victorian police harass pregnant women and grandmothers. No wonder they are on the nose. And this is all the fault of senior officers who have let down the hard-working and courageous junior members of the force by allowing the Victorian police to become politicised. Now, we don't need a Vatican scandal to know all of this, and action should be taken to fix these problems now. Otherwise, there will be bribery in the future. There is no doubt about that. Victoria is not the only state in Australia that has serious problems with its justice system. A New South Wales man who has been accused of rape has just been told by the High Court that New South Wales laws prevent him from disclosing to the jury in his trial that the woman who brought the complaint against him has a history of making false rape claims. The woman has made at least 12 false rape complaints and has even previously been charged and pled guilty to making false complaints. She has also admitted to others that she's made these rape complaints up. Now, this is an incredible story and we should all be grateful to Nicola Berkovic at the Australian newspaper for covering it. The High Court has ruled that New South Wales laws prevent rape complainants from being cross-examined on their sexual history, including any history of making false rape allegations. So now this trial will go ahead and the accused will not be able to tell the court the whole story. This should concern you if you are a man. It should also concern you if you have sons or a husband. One day it might be the man you love who has to face this injustice. It is outrageous that our legal system protects false rape complainants while preventing those who are accused of being able to properly defend themselves. This is not how the justice system should work. Federal Treasurer Josh Frydenberg handed down the Commonwealth budget last Tuesday and one thing is clear, coronavirus is going to hurt us for many years to come. If you believe the Treasurer, our gross national debt will peak at $1.7 trillion in 2031. To put that in perspective, in a decade, each Australian will owe $68,000, and that's just to pay off the Commonwealth debt. They'll need to pay off state debt too. New South Wales government debt was set to blow out to $40 billion before COVID hit, 
a little under 5,000 per person. Who knows what it will be now? The Victorian government has mortgaged each of its citizens off to the tune of $8,500, and each Queenslander is currently saddled with a whopping $20,000 in state debt. Think about it this way. By 2030, the average Queensland husband and wife with their three kids combined will need to pay taxes to service government debt of $440,000, and that doesn't include local government debt either. If you are lucky enough to own your own home in 2030, you will still need to pay off a second mortgage, government debt mortgage. And if you are renting, well, good luck ever being able to save for that elusive home. It's a bit hard to buy a home when you have to pay off the government's home that is racked up for you. Now, this debt has been racked up on the back of a political fear campaign because that's what COVID is. As every day goes by, it is more and more obvious that COVID is nowhere near as lethal as first predicted. In fact, New studies show that in 2008, 2012 and 2015, the flu reduced life expectancy in France more than COVID has this year. The lockdowns and economic pain have been largely self-inflicted for political reasons. Primarily, those in charge simply see this as an opportunity to grab more power. They do this by selling us things that we don't want or even really need. A perfect case in point is government subsidised childcare. Let me be very clear, childcare is the most inefficient way to look after a kid. Normally, parents do this for free. More importantly, because parents tend to love their children, they do this better than anyone else. Parents care about their kids in a way that no one else ever will. But in its wisdom, Australia has decided to pay people to look after other people's children. And of course, if the state is going to get involved in paying people to look after children, it will pay those least connected to those children to do just that, which is also rather bizarre, but unsurprising, given the lunacy that bureaucracy breeds. So mum certainly cannot be paid to look after her children, nor can the grandparents. Apparently, they haven't done the course. But some stranger can receive a government subsidy. I'm not having a go at childcare workers here. I think they are dedicated people and they have a very difficult job, but they are not parents. None of this makes any sense on any level, and it gets stranger still. The actual cost of childcare often mean that mum gets two-fifths of bugger raw after she slaved away each week for the man and then paid someone else to look after her children so that she can have the privilege of being a cog in Australia's economy. That in itself is insane too. And then, just to top all this insanity off, Australia's reproductive rate has consistently fallen since government subsidised childcare was introduced. And this is not good for the economy either. This also is somewhat interesting, given the entire push to increase the number of working mums was predicated on the assumption that it would be great for economic growth. Notice that I have not even spoken about what women actually want when talking about any of this which just goes to prove that if women actually wanted to dump their kids at a childcare centre so they could work for the man, it would still be a bad idea. You would say to them, this is a bad idea and no one should be paying tax to support it. That's what you would say. But the truth is, and this is very controversial, as the truth always is, so I'm just going to say it out loud, most women, given the choice of working or looking after their children, surprise, would actually look after their children. They don't want to pack shelves at Coles or write emails or even be the PM or a CEO. They want to do something really important, raising their children and having a loving home. That is a very important job. 
government subsidized childcare is not something families want. It's not something they often think they need. More truthfully, it's often something they believe that has been forced on them. It is not what they want. Here's something else to think about. Given we live in the most prosperous times the world has ever seen, and even though pretty much every couple actually wants the nice picket-fenced home from the 1950s where mum can stay at home, why doesn't this happen? Is it really because both parents need to work, or is it because the financial system and government settings are forcing mum to work? Hmm, that's a radical question that has no easy answer. No one has ever really explained why grandma could stay at home to look after kids, but as we got more prosperous, mum had to work. Maybe bloated government that provides free childcare is not in fact the solution to this problem. In fact, given everything we know about bloated government bureaucracy, government subsidised childcare is probably a large part of the problem. In any event, we're getting more government subsidised childcare thanks to the bidding war that erupted this week between Anthony Albanese and Josh Frydenberg. So you've just been saddled with much more government debt too. Off to work you go. Well, it is all happening. This is where we fight fake news. The Bernie Gaynor Show is filmed in here every week. As you can see, it is just a little tin shed. We've got a camera, we've got a green screen, but we want to increase our production facilities so that we can bring you better content every week. You can help us fight fake news by chipping in on the Good Source webpage and donating to help us to get good production facilities up here. Uh, we've got an air conditioner that has been donated. Other stuff has been donated too, but there is still a lot of work to go to get this shed turned into a proper television studio. Please, if you can, donate today at The Good Source. If there is one party that gets the afterburners out to saddle up government debt, it is the Greens. The election campaign is underway in Queensland, so they've announced that they will provide breakfast and lunch at state schools. So the Greens have said this has to stop. We've proposed a universal free breakfast and lunch program at all state schools across Queensland. We've also proposed a $1.2 billion fund so that schools can put in the infrastructure and facilities they need to make a program like this work. As we all know, there is no such thing as a free lunch, but according to the Greens, there are millions of free lunches that will only cost $1.2 billion in infrastructure costs and ongoing yearly costs starting at just under $400 million a year from next year, if they win. And it might just end up being the cost Anastasia Palaszczuk has to pay if she's to retain government. I could think of nothing worse than the Greens running the school canteen. Redskins would definitely be out. They'd be replaced by dried kale nibbles and vegetable-based meat, dished out probably by transgender activists. Plus, lunch wouldn't just be free, it would be compulsory too. And that would just be the start. There's no doubt about it. Any party that thinks it needs to ramp up taxes to provide school lunches has already decided that when it gets into power, parents will be done away with altogether. If you thought all things COVID couldn't get any worse, then think again. On Thursday, it was reported in the Sydney Morning Herald that the Morrison government has given two COVID-19 vaccine manufacturers indemnity against liability for rare side effects that may occur. The newspaper article, helpfully, went on to report that medical experts say these side effects are inevitable when a vaccine is rolled out. Nor will the government set up any compensation scheme, which would mean anyone who does get sick from a COVID-19 vaccine 
well, they'll just have to suck it up. I don't know about you, but none of this makes me keen to queue up for the COVID-19 jab. If others want it, they can fill their boots, but not me. Unfortunately, given our governments have used COVID to increase their powers to such an extent that they now decide when we can leave home, I greatly fear that we will see more draconian government overreach when any vaccine is released. Australians will need to be prepared to fight for their freedom when that happens. Staying on COVID, this video is perhaps the saddest and greatest indictment on the insane restrictions that have been placed on us that need to be fully lifted now. Have a look. It's my privilege to have been asked to conduct our service today to celebrate the life of Alan Wright. I therefore offer you all a very warm welcome as we unite in love and friendship to... We now have the funeral police. It's an indictment on our society. We have too easily given up all of our freedoms, even the freedom to hug our grieving mothers. Last week, I highlighted the Democrats' refusal to state whether they will simply pack the United States' highest court, the Supreme Court, with partisan judges. That's the plan that has been openly raised by senior Democrats, simply increasing the majority of progressive judges to ensure that the Supreme Court always rules in the Democrats' favour. This is a recipe for disaster. It will destroy the concept of justice in America. During the vice presidential debate, this issue was once again raised, and this time it was Kamala Harris who refused to answer. It's worth watching the entire segment on the Supreme Court from that debate in full. When you speak about the Supreme Court, though, I think the American people really deserve an answer, Senator Harris. Are you and Joe Biden going to pack the court? if Judge Amy Coney Barrett is confirmed? I mean, there have been 29 vacancies on the Supreme Court during presidential election years from George Washington to Barack Obama. Presidents have nominated in all 29 cases. But your party is actually openly advocating adding seats to the Supreme Court, which has had nine seats for 150 years, if you don't get your way. This is a classic case of if you can't win by the rules, you're going to change the rules. Now, you've refused to answer the question. Joe Biden has refused to answer the question. So I think the American people would really like to know if Judge Amy Coney Barrett is confirmed to the Supreme Court of the United States, are you and Joe Biden, if somehow you win this election, going to pack the Supreme Court to get your way? I'm so glad we went through a little history lesson. Let's do that a little more. In 1864... Well, I'd like you to answer the question. No, Mr. Yes, Vice she, President, I'm please, speaking. Yeah, I'm speaking. Okay. In 1864, one of the, I think, political heroes, certainly of the president, I, I assume of you also, Mr. Vice President, is Abraham Lincoln. Mm -hmm. Abraham Lincoln was up for re-election. And it was 27 days before the election. And a seat became open on the United States Supreme Court. Abraham Lincoln's party was in charge not only of the White House, but the Senate. But Honest Abe said, it's not the right thing to do. The American people deserve to make the decision about who will be the next president of the United States. And then that person can select who will serve for a lifetime on the highest court of our land. And so Joe and I are very clear. The American people are voting right now. And it should be their decision about who will 
serve on this most important body for a lifetime. Thank you, and, and Senator the Harris. People, Susan, are voting right now. They'd like to know if you and Joe Biden are going to pack the Supreme Court if you don't get your way in this nomination. Let's talk about packing. You once Come again on. gave a non-answer. Joe Biden gave a non-answer. <laughs> trying to answer you the now. American people deserve a straight answer. And, and if you haven't figured it out yet, the straight answer is they are going to pack the Supreme Court if they somehow win this election. But, Men Mr. and women, Vice I, I, I got to tell you, people across this country, if you cherish our Supreme Court, if you cherish the separation of powers, you need to reject the Biden-Harris ticket. Come November the 3rd, reelect President Donald Trump and will stand by that separation powers in a nine seat Supreme Court. Yeah, Thank let's you. talk about packing the court then. Let's talk about the Please. fact. Yeah, I'm, I'm about to. So the Trump-Pence administration has been, because I sit on the Senate Judiciary Committee, Susan, as you mentioned, and I've witnessed the appointments for lifetime appointments to the federal courts, district courts, courts of appeal. People who are purely ideological, people who have been reviewed by, by legal professional organizations and found to have been not competent, are substandard. And do you know that of the 50 people who President Trump appointed to the Court of Appeals for lifetime appointments, not one is black? This is what they've been doing. You want to talk about packing a court? Let's have that discussion. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Senator. Let's go on and talk about the issue of racial justice. I, I just want the record to reflect. She never answered the question. So I, the American, thank, maybe thank in the next debate, Joe Biden will answer the question. You, but I think the you. American people know the answer. Thank you. Will the Democrats pack the Supreme Court? I showed you last week that is certainly what key Democrats are calling for. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris's refusal to answer this simple question is telling. Of course they will. Now, with just a couple of weeks to Election Day, the polls, all of which were wrong in 2016, as well as they were for Brexit and the Australian election, they claim that Joe Biden is comfortably leading President Trump. I'm going to make a prediction here. The polls will be wrong again. Trump will win. That's my prediction. You heard it here first. The Rainbow Brigade in New South Wales has brought out the big guns to oppose Mark Latham's much-needed common-sense bill to ban gender indoctrination in the school system. Peter Tatchell is now leading the charge to oppose these laws. So, who is Peter Tatchell, you ask? Good question. I've got the answer. He's a London-based activist. Here he is at the 2011 Mardi Gras, campaigning against vilification by vilifying Pope Benedict XVI. That makes sense, I guess. And he's been quoted in the gay press this week because he's such a wonderful human rights advocate. These are some of the things that he has done in the past. Tatchell was actually born in Australia, but travelled to London to avoid being jailed for refusing to register for the Vietnam War draft. And then it gets worse. 1996, Tatchell was the face of a campaign to lower the age of consent in the UK to 14 years of age. He claimed that he was motivated to reduce the criminalisation of people under the age of 16. Yeah, we all buy that. The same year, Peter Tatchell wrote an obituary for Ian Dunn, the bloke who founded the infamous Pedophile Information Exchange, stating that Dunn was a pioneer for gay and lesbian rights. Get it, Peter? You thought Dunn was a great bloke. It turns out that a decade earlier, in 1986, Tatchell actually wrote an essay for a book called The Betrayal of Youth. Its title was simply shortened to B-O-Y, and that spells boy, which was published by Warren Middleton, the vice chair of the Pedophile Information Exchange. Tatchell's essay was titled 
questioning ages of majority and ages of consent. And he stated that the age of consent was reinforcing a set of increasingly quaint minority moral values left over from the Victorian era. They were his words on the idea of the age of consent. Tatchell's website now says that he was alluding to the now rejected Victorian view that children should be seen and not heard. Of course, that's pretty obvious when you hear his words. Tatchell also says that he now had no idea he was being asked to write an essay for a book about the age of consent for an actual pedophile. He thought it was a reasonable request. I guess that's the mistake anyone could make. In 1997, Tatchell also wrote a letter to the Guardian newspaper defending a book about boy love, stating the positive nature of some child-adult sexual relationships is not confined to non-Western cultures. Several of my friends, gay and straight, male and female, had sex with adults from the age of 9 to 13. None feel that they were abused, or say it was their conscious choice and gave them great joy. While it may be impossible to get on pedophilia, it is time society acknowledge the truth that not all sex involving children is unwanted, abusive or harmful. Now, I guess that's a little hard to take out of context, but Tatchell claims it's easy to misunderstand. He was just exposing the views of his friends, he says, not endorsing those views. He also says those views have a right to be heard. And lucky for us, Tatchell was there to make sure that happens. In 2008, Tatchell showed that he hadn't changed, writing in an Irish newspaper that an age of consent of 14 might be more reasonable. If sex at 14 is consensual and no one is hurt or complains, is criminalisation in the public interest? Is it in the 14-year-old's interest? What a great question. He supported the relaxation of laws against pornography, arguing that porn can also be socially beneficial, and he said the same thing about nudity. And Tatchell still proudly defends all of these statements on his website today. Peter Tatchell is the weapon the LGBT brigade has unleashed to defeat Mark Latham's bill to ban gender indoctrination in New South Wales. Just think about that for a second. Given his track record of accidentally praising pedophiles and writing articles for their magazine, it's fair to say that Tatchell is not the best of judge of anything. So if he opposes a bill to ban gender indoctrination in primary schools, it's probably a good idea to pass it as soon as possible. And never forget, the LGBT lobby groups have all jumped on board to get Tatchell involved in this campaign. That says a lot about them. It's time to wrap this episode up, but we can't go without the goose of the week. Runner up this time is Susan Shaw. Susan is a professor of women, gender and sexuality studies, of course, at Oregon State University. Here she is dressed up for Halloween. She's role-playing a perpetually unhappy middle-aged lesbian. Last week, she shot to fame for arguing that white Christians are responsible for bushfires in California because of their denial of climate science. She added for good measure that the white church is mostly complicit with the intersecting systems of racism and global capitalism that underlie climate change. Given Susan is a professor of gender studies, she's evidently not an expert on the weather, which is probably why she's blamed climate change on Christianity. Although, to be fair, she does get closer to the truth than most. God actually does make it rain. But alas, Susan misses out on the award because there is an even bigger goose this week. I don't know his name, but it is definitely this guy. He's modelling Gucci's latest dress for men. It only costs a cool £1,700, so anyone who bought it is also a dead set loon. Gucci released the dress to fight 
toxic masculinity. I guess it's a kind of fight fire with fire thing and I don't really understand it. It's about the most toxic thing I've ever seen. But it does come with Mother of Pearl buttons and a contrasting Peter Pan collar. I think the blue beanie is an extra and in my humble opinion, it's entirely unnecessary. Let the dress do all the talking, I say. So give a brave non-toxic man in an overpriced Gucci dress a round of applause. He's this week's winner of the Goose of the Week. Stay up to date with all the latest content on Good Source News. There's a great fact check of Kamala Harris's claim about Abraham Lincoln. Hint, she lied during the presidential debate. Stay up to date with all my battles at bernardcannell.com.au and of course, make sure you subscribe to the Good Source Facebook page, web page and Twitter accounts. The Bernard Gaynor Show is a production of The Good Source, hosted by Bernard Gaynor. To watch, listen to, or read more content without the SJWPC fact filter, visit goodsource.news, good S-A-U-C-E dot news. Become a Good Source supporter for exclusive access to live and unedited interview recordings, including the conversations before and after the show. 